So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Now, I know Christmas is only three weeks away, but right now I want you to look beyond Christmas. Beyond Christmas. New Year's Day is only four weeks away. Which means you have four weeks to come up with your New Year's resolution. That's right, in just 28 days, well-intentioned people all over the world will renew their commitment to be better, to change, to grow, and perhaps you'll join them this year. Maybe you'll decide that this year, finally, this year is the year you're going to get healthy. You're going to start eating better. You're going to start exercising. Maybe a bigger commitment. Maybe you decided this year is the year you're going to quit smoking. Maybe there's some other bad habit that you want to kill, like wasting time on your phone or spending too much time on Netflix. Or maybe you want to cultivate some new good habit, like spending more time with your family or doing exercise or reading your Bible. Now, whether or not you get on the New Year's resolution bandwagon, I'm sure almost all of you have, at some point in your lives, tried to change. Tried to change habits, tried to change behaviours, tried to change the way you think and feel. Which means I'm sure all of you know how hard it is to change. It's really, really difficult. The fact that there are four weeks until we set our New Year's resolutions means that there only are about seven weeks until we break them. The fitness tracking app Strava, they crunched the numbers, they looked at the patterns of more than 800 million kind of user-logged exercise activities, and they concluded, based on the patterns of people exercising, that more than half of New Year's fitness commitments are abandoned by January 19. They call it Quitter's Day. By the second week of February, more than 80% of people have given up. If you've ever tried to change yourself, you'll know that change is hard. We seem to be resistant to change. Well, this morning we're considering a part of the Bible that deals with the topic of change. It's a passage that teaches us that Christians are people who have been profoundly changed by meeting Jesus, but it also teaches us that Christians are people who will keep changing. Paul, who wrote this letter, expects that Christians will grow 
in godliness. He expects them to start to look more and more like Jesus himself. He holds out to us the possibility that we can actually overcome sinful desire in our life. But if you've been a Christian for like anything more than about three seconds, you'll start to wonder whether that's actually possible. I'm sure there are some of you that think that sounds too far-fetched. It's too hard for me. I can't change. It sounds good. It sounds nice. But is it realistic? I mean, just consider, I, I can't stop myself from eating all the Tim Tams. What, what hope do I have of actually controlling the greed and the anger and the pride that's deep within my heart? We actually start to live, or some of us do, as if there is a quitter's day for godliness. That the danger for us is that we expect that we can't change or that we sort of become satisfied with a very minimal change. But Galatians 5 is a passage that teaches us that we can change. You you can change. You can make real progress in godliness. And so this morning, we're going to see how. If you've got an outline there, there's four, four kind of points about change that we're going to look at. First, we need to change. Second, we are equipped for change. Thirdly, we will struggle with change. And then finally, we'll consider how it is that we can change. But as we look at those, how about I pray? Father God, We thank you for your word now and we thank you for the hope that your word brings us. This hope that we can actually change, that we can grow, that we can become more and more like the people that you called us to be. Lord, I pray that you would help us understand these words. We pray that you would help us avoid the common mistakes when we try to change. And we pray that by your spirit you may indeed change us, that you might grow us, that you might bear the fruit of your spirit in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in our, in our passage this morning, there's a pretty obvious contrast that Paul is making for us. There's a contrast between, between two different ways of living. There's the way of the spirit and the way of the flesh. And and it's pretty clear that these two are very different from each other. They are, in fact, opposed to each other, is what Paul says in verse 17. They have opposite goals in mind. They want completely different things for us. And so they produce different results. The acts of the flesh sexual immorality, idolatry, hatred, etc., or the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Now, we're going to come back to the Spirit in just a bit, but first we need to understand what Paul means when he's talking about the flesh. Because at first glance, you might think he's kind of making a contrast between what is physical and what is spiritual, but that's not quite what Paul means. And we can see that in verse 19 because he talks about idolatry and witchcraft as acts of the flesh 
even though they are quite spiritual. And in verse 23, he talks about self-control, which is very often a physical thing, as a fruit of the Spirit. So it's not a contrast between what is physical and what is spiritual. Now, when Paul talks about the flesh, he's referring to us in our natural, sinful state. The flesh is what you get when you leave a human to be who they are. And so in verse 19, when Paul gives us a list of some of the acts of the flesh, he's showing us what all humans will naturally and inevitably tend towards. If you take a person, any person, and you, you watch them for long enough, they will eventually tend towards sexual sin, They'll want to sleep with people they're not married to. They'll want to indulge for their own pleasure at other people's expense. They'll naturally tend towards religious sin. They'll worship anything but God. Or they'll want what God offers, but not by submitting to His rule. They'll eventually tend toward relational sin. They'll be jealous. They'll be angry. They'll hurt other people to improve their own position. And friends, this is us. This is who we are. These are the things that come naturally to us. No one needed to teach us these things. Have you ever noticed that you don't need to teach your child to be jealous or angry or manipulative? They work it out all by themselves at a very young age. So you've never seen a parent who you know, has to sit their kid down and say, look, son, I, I really just want you to think a bit more about yourself. I'm sick of seeing you being so considerate and thoughtful of other people. That doesn't happen. No, you never have to say that to a kid. It comes naturally to them. It comes naturally to us. You don't need to teach us these things. That we're quite capable of doing them all by ourselves. Why? Because we are born that way. We are born disobedient. We are born rebellious. Left as we are, naturally, we will tend towards all kinds of horrible sin. And in verse 21, Paul shows us that the outcome of those who live by the flesh, he says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who lived like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Friends, unless we change... We cannot be in relationship with God. Now, don't hear that the wrong way. Paul isn't saying that we are saved by our ability to change ourselves. In fact, the whole of Galatians is pushing against that idea. You don't get to heaven by trying hard to be good. No, you are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. But the evidence of genuine faith is that you will change. We need to change. The question is, how do we change? Now, the Galatians were being led to believe that obeying God's law will help them grow in godliness. We've seen that throughout the letter. But if you remember, they've been deceived into thinking that they need to keep God's law in order to retain their place in his kingdom. And Paul says again and again, no. Obeying God's law doesn't get you in. Obeying God's law doesn't keep you in. All God's law is good for 
is for showing you that you can't keep it. You see, that's the problem with laws, isn't it? Laws don't help us get better. They just show us what we did wrong. If laws actually help people get better, then we wouldn't have a problem with crime in this country. All the laws would have fixed us. They haven't. All laws do is show us what we have done wrong. You see, laws can't actually change us. At best, all laws can do is sort of change our behaviours. They operate on an external level. If we really want to change, though, what we need is change on an internal level. We need something that changes our hearts. You've experienced this in a, in a really ordinary way. If you've ever tried to change your diet, maybe it's been a New Year's resolution of the past, you've decided, I'm going to eat healthy. If you've ever had that thought, that compulsion, I want to start eating healthy, you will know that there is a huge difference between eating healthy food and wanting to eat healthy food. So you can fill the fridge with fresh healthy vegetables and count every calorie as it goes in, but it will not make chocolate any less appealing. Which is why so many diets fail. And friends, it's the same with our growth as Christians. We can fence ourselves in with all the laws in the world. And there is some wisdom in doing that. But we can take away the things that tempt us to sin. We can change who we hang out with. We can put the software on our computer that sends our search history to a trusted friend. We can do all those things. But all they will do is change our outward behaviour. It won't change our desires. What you need if you want the diet to stick and what you need if you want to be godly is new desires. Now, you can learn to love broccoli simply by eating it over and over again. That doesn't work with God because left to our own devices, we, we can't love God. We won't love God. So what we need is for him to give us new desires, to grow in us new desires. And friends, this is the astounding news here. He does that. To each and every one of his children, God gives his spirit. He chooses to live in you. And in verse 17, Paul tells us that the spirit works in us on the level of our desires. Do you see what that is? So often when we think about growing as Christians, we, we think about laws. We think about what we can do to sort of restrain the sin in our lives. And so we might think, oh, I have a problem with, you know, with drinking too much. And we say, I'll get rid of all the alcohol. We're creating laws. Now, there's some wisdom in that. But what we really need is the spirit to change our desires, to actually make us want what is good. And this is what the Spirit does. The Spirit desires what our flesh doesn't. He gives us new desires, counter-desires, desires that were completely alien to us. And so when the Spirit is allowed to take control in our lives, the result is fruit. There is love and joy and peace where there was previously hatred and rage and discord. There is kindness and gentleness 
where there was previously jealousy and anger, that there is self-control instead of selfish indulgence. And do you, you see, you look at this fruit and they're not just outward behaviour changes, they're deep internal changes. Have you ever tried to love something that you don't love? You can't really force yourself to do that. You can give the appearance of loving a person that you don't love, you can smile at them and force it, but you don't actually change inside. What the Spirit does in us is grow in us new desires, changes us from the inside out. Now, it's important to recognise here that Paul speaks of fruit, not fruits, because these things actually all go together. This is not a bowl of fruit from which we need to make a selection. No, 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 we we get all of this. These are the things that God's Spirit grows in us together, all of them. Friends, we need to change. And by God's grace and through the gift of His Spirit, we are equipped for change. But we mustn't get too triumphalistic here because that doesn't mean that change is quick or easy. I think Paul's very deliberate in picking the language of fruit. Fruit doesn't grow overnight, or at least not usually. The changes that we should experience as Christians will not be overnight. They will be gradual, they will be slow, and and we actually see here that there will be a struggle, it'll be a fight. Just like growing fruit at home is, for me, I lose the fight frequently. I don't get much out of my veggie garden. Now, notice here, Paul says that our fleshly, sinful nature is is still there. He actually paints a picture of these two competing forces in our lives. We have God's Spirit and He is working in us to give us new desires, but we have our flesh, which is desiring completely different things, and they're pulling on us. It is a battle. And friends, we need to be prepared for this battle. We know the battle, you've experienced the battle. Two competing forces pulling us in opposite directions and it it means that you don't actually get to do what you want to do. You've experienced that, haven't you? I I, I think about it, you know, maybe I should have checked with Janice. Janice and I have fights, we're an ordinary married couple, we've had fights. And so often in the midst of an argument, You'll have that thought, oh, I have this thought, what am I doing? This is a stupid idea, stop now. But do I stop? No. No, I keep going. I dig myself in further. I harden. I'm sure I'm not the only one that does this. We are at war within ourselves, the spirit pulling one direction, our sinful desires pulling another direction. We might want to do good, but there is always that competing desire within us trying to prevent us from doing what we want and what the Spirit wants. We are in a fight. But friends, it's a fight that we can win. We need to change. We've been equipped with the Holy Spirit so that we can change. Now, that change is a struggle, it's a fight, it's a war between the flesh and the spirit. But in verse 24 and 25, Paul shows us how we can win it. 
He shows us what we can actually do to grow. First of all, he wants us to remember that if you are in Christ, you've crucified that old sinful self. He says, verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It is dead. The old you is dead. It's been nailed to the cross. But what we need to do, what we need to do is make sure that we don't go back to the cross and try and take it down or try and resurrect it. John Stott observes that crucifixion is a, is a slow death. When a criminal was crucified, they may be hanging on that cross for days. It is a slow death, but it is a certain death. And so in the same way, your old self is on the cross. Its death is certain, we must resist the temptation to go back and try and take it down. We must not only take up our cross and walk with it, but actually see that the execution takes place. If you want to grow, you need to remember that your flesh has been crucified with Christ. But in verse 25, Paul gives us a second thing that we can do to win the battle over our old sinful flesh. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step kind of paints a picture. It's follow the leader. You know the kids game, follow the leader. We need to keep in step with the Spirit as the Spirit leads us, which means actually training ourselves to keep walking in line with the way that the Spirit leads. Well, where does the Spirit lead? The Spirit leads us to Christ and to glorify Christ. And so in Romans 6, Paul says that we need to set our minds on what the Spirit desires. That's how we keep in step with the Spirit. And so how do we set our minds on what the Spirit desires? Well, through a whole lot of ordinary things that God gives us. Through Bible reading and prayer. Now you go, oh, really? That's, I was looking for something better than that. No, 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 no. The, these are the means of grace that God gives us. That when we, when we spend time in His Word, He actually, by His Spirit, grows in us a desire to do good and to please God. When we pray to Him, we, our, our eyes are set on what the Spirit desires, on God. He gives us each other. Do you remember the, the Nicorette uh, like ads on TV and they had the little cheer squad cheering along behind you, Nicorette, Nicorette, you can beat the cigarette. That's what we are for each other. We're not quitting smoking, but we're gathering around each other, supporting one another, encouraging one another to keep in step with the Spirit. He gives us each other. Ordinary things. But God uses them. He gives us to them as tools 
gives, us, gives them to us as tools so that we might actually keep in step with the Spirit, that we might grow and that we might see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. I'm going to finish with this little poem I, I read during the week. It says, Go and work, the law commands, yet finds me neither feet nor hands. But sweeter news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and lends me wings. Let me pray. Father God, we are grateful that you have given us what we need for godliness. That you have blessed us with the astounding grace of your spirit living in us, working within us and giving us new desires. Father, we we want to please you. We want to live godly lives. We want to live lives that align with your purposes for us. We want to live lives that emulate the Lord Jesus who was full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We want to live those lives, but we know that we can't do that ourselves. We don't have the power within us to change ourselves. And so we are grateful that by your spirit, you change us. Lord, help us to keep in step with the spirit. Help us to set our minds on the things of the spirit. Help us to use the tools and the resources that you give us so that we may be changed, that the Spirit, that we may keep in step with the Spirit, that we might follow the Spirit's leading, so that we might live in a way that brings glory to your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.